Good morning. This morning I'll be reading from uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe in it, part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead in his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of our Lord. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give directions when I come. Awesome. Steve, thank you so much. Steve Donovan, one of our elders here this morning. And when I hear those words from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, um, I, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of think of the opposite of what our series title is, Losing My Religion. We've begun this series over these past few weeks with this idea in mind that it was the Apostle Paul who was Saul who had this dramatic change in his life that Justin talked about last week and how he spoke to the heart. And when I hear those words, um, I, I hear more religion and less relationship. When you hear them on the surface, that's kind of what you hear. I, I don't know if you felt the same way when you heard those words. There was a lot about guilt in there. There was a lot about rules. There was a lot about here's how you should do it. And in fact, we skipped one whole part, which gives instructions about the Lord's Supper. And so I think to myself, man, I wonder what Paul was trying to do here. Inspired by God's Holy Spirit, what was his aim? I mean, the way I read it and the way I heard it was Steve read it was this was kind of like a collective slap on the hand of the church at Corinth, right? He's using some mild discipline because they weren't taking seriously the Lord's Supper. Now, I don't know about you, like if you grew up in, in the church, um, you might have had an experience like I had. Because when I was a kid, and, and um, you know, I, we were in church every day, and in our church we had um, communion about once a quarter. It's about what we do here. But I remember that I would sit there with that little cracker or, or that grape juice, and, and I remember my mom and dad sitting next to me, and they were just so incredibly nervous about what I was going to do because half the time I would end up with crumbs in my hands. And I would end up kind of like 
crushing a little bit of the bottom of that cup, and it would start to leak out, and my mom would freak out. And I remember my parents just being a little bit nervous about this whole situation with a young kid because they were concerned about etiquette. They were concerned about what it would make them look like. And I want you to hear today that that is not the reason that Paul gave these instructions. He didn't give these instructions to challenge our etiquette at the table. Now, was it bad in the first century in Corinth? It was bad. It was bad. And I think we have to remember that this wasn't just like a communion service like we have. It wasn't the Lord's Supper like we think of it today. It was a meal. They were coming together for the Passover meal. It was a feast. They would have had food at church, and they would have had a lot of it. This was the Sunday that everyone would come to church because they knew about it, right? It's like everybody showed up. And the problem is, is that they showed up hungry. That wasn't the end of the problem. They showed up hungry, and they showed up selfish, And they showed up hungry and they showed up selfish, but that wasn't the end of the problem. They showed up without a grateful heart. They showed up with something in their mind that they wanted. And that attitude came out in the way that they treated this meal that was intended for them to focus on God's deliverance. And essentially, they were missing the whole point. And so does Paul give them a collective slap on the wrist? Absolutely, he does. But Paul doesn't do it for the purposes of etiquette. He does it because he sees in their behavior a heart attitude coming out. And isn't it true that our behavior is kind of just the tip of the iceberg? It's it's kind of what's above the surface, and everything below the surface is the real issue. It's the real problem. The disease below the surface is where it really takes root. And so Paul gives these instructions that is intended to not change their behavior, although I'm sure that he hoped, because they were drunk and they were fighting over food, I'm sure that he hoped their behavior would change. But he really wanted their heart to change. And so he gives instructions that we follow today. He gives instructions on this day that there was food in church. Free food always brings a crowd. (laughs) It always does. It still does today. It's why we have donuts and coffee that's free. (laughs) But he was giving instructions to test where they were in the attitude of their heart. And today I want to focus on three things that I think Paul did. Three ways, three tests that he gave the church in Corinth in the first century that still apply to us today. Because I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be honest with you this morning for a second. Um, I, I told Steve before, we started here today that um, I had, I've got a pretty bad attitude this morning. I just do. Woke up on the wrong side of the bed really early. Maybe it has to do with time change. I don't know. Maybe it just has to do with me. I don't know. Maybe it just has to do with, you know, my, my attitude this morning. I woke up with a poor attitude. I did. I really did. He's <laughs> just said same to me right down here. I love it. So anyway, anybody else wake up with a poor attitude this morning? I mean, we lost an hour of sleep. Am I the only one? Me and Jesus here are the only ones? I don't think so. And um, I needed to do some self-examination this morning. 
So today what I want to do is kind of walk through for a few minutes kind of what Paul gives as a bit of a test on what we can do to prepare ourselves to come to this table that's not about food, but it's about our heart. It's about where we are here with him. And so Paul does three things. I've used my own words in some cases. I've used his words in other cases. I think the first thing that he does is he challenges us to have a process of examination. He challenges us to have a process of examination. In verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11, he says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And that word examine there in the original language, in the Greek language, it literally means a testing of yourself. It literally means a testing of yourself. And when I think of this, I think of like a litmus test. Something that would test our chemistry in terms of where we are with God. Like it's a test of, of, of where we are with him. Our level of, of gratitude about our lives. And if I were to have taken this morning a litmus test of my level of gratitude towards God, the color would not have changed or would have changed dramatically. I can't remember chemistry. All right, so it would have done one or the other. It would have indicated that my level of gratitude for what God has done for me is pretty darn low. And I think Paul's encouragement here, his instruction here to examine ourselves is one that drives at our attitude. It drives at our thoughts, and it also drives at our actions because that's kind of the progression of our actions anyway, isn't it? It's something that begins with a deep attitude. It extends to our minds and then it comes out in how we treat people, how we treat others, how we treat ourselves. And so he says, let a person examine himself then, then, and so then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You see, I think we've gotta put ourselves in a position where we test ourselves, where we test ourselves and ask the question, am I grateful for what God has done for me? Am I coming to this table where we're going to remember God's deliverance for our sins, and yet I'm just kind of coming to the table like begrudgingly thanking God? Have you ever been in a position where you did something for someone and you expected an act of gratitude or an expression of gratitude, and they kind of gave you one of these? Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. I think that's what Paul's asking us to do. He's asking us to test whether or not we are truly grateful. Because a posture of genuine gratitude is going to come out in, in the way that we think about this table. And so we need to test ourselves. We need to test ourselves. We cannot be genuine in our gratitude when our actions and our thoughts and our actions are one of entitlement. 
And there are so many times that in, in our lives, I know in my life and, and perhaps in your life where we have all the blessings that God has given us starting with salvation and extending all through our, our, our lives and everything that he's doing. And we just want more. We just want more. And so we come to the table with an attitude that's going to cause us to be gluttonous, to demand that we have more food, better food, better wine, or juice in this case. Something more. Because our attitudes have not been tested. Self-examination, the testing of ourselves. The second word that he uses is discernment. In verse 29, he says, For anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And it's interesting, the word that's used there is the word discernment which is a word that we're fairly familiar with in our language, and it's used several times throughout the New Testament, and it's used in different ways. But what it means here is a separation of self. See, the people of the day were coming to the table, and all that they were thinking about is their bellies. All that they were focused on was where they weren't satisfied. And because of their lack of satisfaction in Jesus, they ended up fighting over food like Black Friday at Thanksgiving at Walmart. And they came to the table hungry for more, concerned just about their desires. And Paul says, don't do that. Discern the body. Discern yourself. Separate your desires from what we're about ready to do. It's pretty convicting, isn't it? It's pretty convicting. And you know, while we don't come to a table like this, you're, you're, you're not going to get full on a very small wafer and a just small amount of juice. You're not going to get full on that. But I think what we do is, is we come to this table sometimes with this an attitude that lacks gratitude, and that's where we need to check ourselves. But we also come to this table entitled, shaking our fist at God and going, salvation wasn't enough. I want more. I want more. I want this. I want that. I want more money. I want more position. I want more possession. I want more. And when we do that, we shake our fist at God, and we say, it wasn't enough. It's never, ever, ever enough. And so when Paul says that we should discern, he's essentially saying that we should, we should separate ourselves from this table, that we should come to it with a selfless attitude, with our desires under control. Being fully satisfied in the great act of Christ on the cross. And the third thing that he talks about is a word that I'm going to use, and that's introspection. He says judgment. But we have such a warped view of judgment in our day and age. I'm going to use the word introspection. It's a bit like the idea of examination, but I think it's a deeper thing. 
It's introspection, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31. He says, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Introspection. Looking deep within ourselves. In fact, the word there that's used for judge, and it's the reason I use the word introspection, it literally means in the original language to consider and to conclude. But here's what we do with judgment. Here's what we do. is we, we let it be an examination outward, don't we? <laughs> we look around and we judge. We do extrospection rather than introspection. We don't look here, we look there. And we look for the problems in other people. We look for where they may not measure up. We look for, for how we are better than them. And so judgment becomes something that we do not internally like, like Paul's instructing us, but we do it to everyone else. And he says, but if we judge ourselves truly, we then would not be judged. And so church, we have to stop. And we have to use what Paul instructed us in that original language to consider and conclude, to consider and to conclude. Because our natural tendency is to not consider and conclude where our heart is to be serious and thoughtful and genuine about where we are with God, but our tendency is to consider and conclude about everyone else around us. And we do it all the time, don't we? And so Paul gives us the formula that we can process through, that we can walk through, so that when we come to the table, when we hold that wafer, we truly can remember the work of Christ on the cross and be grateful. And when we take that cup and we drink it, we can be reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And so today, we're gonna to enter into a time of confession. But here's where the religion versus relationship thing happens. And here's where it plays out, because so far, this sounds like a lot of religion, right? But I want you to check out verse 31, excuse me, verse 32, when Paul says this. He says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. But look what he says next. So that we may not be, what's that next word? Condemned. So that we may not be condemned along with the world. See, here's the problem with religion. Religion says, come to the table Let's partake of this meal. Let's remember the cross and let's go to a place of confession and stay there in that place of confession. Stay in the posture of confession. That's what religion says. But what Jesus did on the cross is so incredibly powerful that he says, yes, confess your sins, yes, have the posture of confession, but when you're done, stand tall because you are clothed in the robe of righteousness that he provided through his death. And we can stand tall, not because of anything that we've done, 
but because of what he has done on the cross. So today, some of you will come to this point of confession and you won't take the idea of examination and you won't take the idea of introspection and you won't take the idea of discernment seriously enough and you'll just allow your attitudes and your actions and behavior just to be a free-for-all. And that's, what, that's not what God wants. He wants you to take it seriously. But he also wants you, once the time of confession is over, to stand up away from that posture of confession and to live with freedom in him. Because we are no longer under judgment. We are no longer under condemnation. Paul in his letter to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 8, says in this, in verses 1 and 2, he says, There is, therefore, now, say it with me, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And that's how Paul's instruction to handle this great table of remembrance and gratitude with sincerity also connects with this idea of a relationship with Jesus Christ that says you do not have to walk in shame any longer. You do not have to walk with your head hanging in shame any longer because he has done everything that's needed on the cross for you to rise up from that posture of confession and walk in freedom in Christ. And so today, as you think about the cross, as you think about the cup and you think about the bread, I want you to think about moving on from that posture of confession that we so often hear that religion tells us to stay in. We're forced down into it, remembering our sin, remembering our shame, remembering our guilt. And I want you to remember the great price that Jesus paid so that you can rise up and stand tall. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up here this morning. We're going to enter a time of confession. And I want to challenge you right now to get in a posture of confession for some of you. That might just be sitting right there where you are. For some of you, it might mean kneeling. For some of you, it might, I don't know, it might mean standing. I don't know what that posture of confession is. But we want to give you just, just, a, just a few moments of quiet. Man, I don't know about you. There's always noise around, isn't there? It's distracting. It kind of keeps us so busy and plugged in. But maybe we never get plugged in to what? Jesus did on the cross. So before we come to the table this morning, I want to encourage you to walk through these three steps. Self-examination, examining yourself, self-discernment, allowing yourself to be separated from your desires. Asking yourself the question, are you really truly finding your full satisfaction in Christ? And then lastly, this idea of introspection, of looking deep within your soul to see where you are with him. 
Allow this time, allow this song that they're going to sing after a few moments of quiet to pierce your soul. Talk to God about your sin. Confess it to him. He already knows it anyway. Let's enter a time of confession after I pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that you loved us enough that you went to the cross, that you were willing to be nailed, embarrassed, put to shame, judged and condemned yourself so that we can walk in freedom. And God, I pray for each one of us in here, starting with me, for all of us, those who are joining us online this morning, God, I pray that you would help each one of us to take that posture of confession, maybe physically, maybe in our, our spirits. God, I pray that we would walk through this process that Paul gives us of examining ourselves, testing ourselves to see where our attitudes are not right. To discern ourselves, to see if we have these desires that are selfish and control us. And God, I pray that you would help us to be introspective, to look deep within our souls, to see where we are with you. And God, if we have anything that is keeping us from having a abundant, robust relationship with you, full of gratitude, completely satisfied in you. Father, I pray that you would right now reveal it to us. Reveal it to us right now. Reveal it to me. In the quietness of this moment, would you just look at our lives? And may we be honest with you in this moment, in Jesus' name. Just stay in the spirit of confession for the next few silent moments.